0: College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org register.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge.
3: Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we're both a little bit under the weather. How are you hanging in there, buddy?
2: I'm doing good. I think the winner finally got to me, though. kind of burning the candle at both ends. A little congested, a little head cold, but I'm hanging in there, ready to podcast,
3: ready to talk some rich Gangarello news. Yeah, we have a great show lined up for you here today. We're going to welcome in a guest. We're going to talk about him here in just a minute, tell you what to expect. Before we do, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, take some time, if you haven't done it. Leave a creative review and rate the show, especially if you're listening on iTunes and especially if you're listening on Stitcher. You guys have no idea how much that can help us in terms of rising in the rankings on iTunes, growing, reaching new listeners. So if you haven't taken time to do that, help us out and uh, leave a creative review. Rate the show. Now... Our guest for today, this was a great conversation that we actually recorded previously to to this point right now where we're talking to you. It was a great conversation with Chris Biederman, who is a beat reporter for the Sacramento Bee. He's been covering the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, For a long time, he and I used to work together at Scout Media. He was a publisher for the Niners' website, and I was, of course, publisher for the Broncos' website with Scout way back when, like circa 2014-ish. So, and then our our paths diverged. He's now with the Sacramento Bee, and I'm with 24/7 Sports, and it's phenomenal. Great uh, dude that really knows his stuff. Great professional, great insight. However. There is a little bit of a uh, technical issue with this conversation, not in terms of the sound quality, or not in terms of the content of what Chris had to say. As you guys will see, he had some phenomenal insight and really dug in deep on some of these issues with Scangarella and Vic Fangio, who we covered for three years. Uh, but he's a man who loves his dog, okay, <sighs> Mr. Biederman. and so. There's a couple moments in this podcast where his dog makes an appearance on the show and we did the best we could to, to edit some of that out, but uh, there was no getting around it in a few instances. So just bear with us through that aspect of the conversation. But once again, you're going to see it's all worth it. It's only a couple of times and it's a phenomenal conversation where both Zach and I came out of it completely edified. We'll share some of our takeaways from that conversation on the other side. But in the meantime, Here is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. All right, everybody, we are super excited to welcome in Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. He's a beat writer, has covered the San Francisco 49ers for a long time. He and I go a little bit back uh, in our ties to a a former network we both uh, used to work for. So we're super stoked, though, to have him on the show. You can find him on Twitter, at Chris Biederman, B-I-D-E-R, man chris welcome to the show man how you doing
0: good thanks thank you guys for having me yeah
3: thanks for taking the time to come on so you know one of the big uh, issues on the minds of Broncos country right now is is this new fellow that the team hired who only has 4 years of NFL experience under his belt but a lot of years obviously coach i think it was 17 years before that in college or whatever But Rich Scangarello was hired as the offensive coordinator in Denver. And for the most part, Chris, guys are excited. Fans are excited. It's kind of a a breath of fresh air, so to speak, where he's got – you know, the Broncos are bringing in a guy who's got one foot in kind of the old ways of the Shanahan West Coast offense that everyone around here is familiar with, dating back to Kubiak, dating back to the late 90s Broncos with John Elway, but also one foot in some of these newer college-type schemes – that are predominating in the NFL with some RPO concepts and some pre snap movement. But what can you tell us about uh, your experience covering Rich Gangarello there in San Francisco? What kind of coordinator or uh, position coach was he known as there in town?
0: Well, well, we didn't actually get to talk to him all too much because he was a position coach. Uh, so, you know, the, as a position coach, those guys are kind of kept at arm's length from the media. Sorry, there are dogs here. I hope they're not making too much noise. Well, one of, one of the things the 49ers really liked about Scangarello was, was his ability to, to get guys up to speed quickly. You'll remember after they they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo at the, at the deadline in 2017, Garoppolo came in and really, they, you know, it took him about a three weeks to a month to really get the system. And, and they ran a little bit of a dumbed-down version of the offense with him under center. But... You know, he went five and zero, and and a lot of the the numbers and metrics suggest Garoppolo played like you know a top five quarterback over that stretch. Obviously, that's a small sample size, but uh, you talk to Garoppolo, and he would credit Scangarello up for for a lot of that work. And mm. and you know Shanahan's the offensive coordinator, um, and and really the play caller and everything like that. But as the head coach, he didn't have a ton of time to to just devote to to getting Garoppolo up to speed. So a lot of that was on Scangarello. Uh, and the 49ers were obviously really happy with that, as was Garoppolo. You look at this last year, and and I know the Niners and Broncos played week 14, and the Niners ended up winning that game just their third <laughs> one. Uh, but Nick Mullins was, you know, an undrafted guy in 2017. That Scangarello really, um, he was sort of the guy that identified Mullins leading up to the draft and, and really wound up pitching him hard to come to the 49ers as, a, as an undrafted guy. And you saw what Nick Mullins was able to do. He, you know, he played pretty well for, for a second year undrafted player who who really is his, the only reason he, he ever made or was promoted to the active roster was when Garoppolo got hurt in September. So, so yeah, Mullins completing 64 percent of his passes, uh, leading the 49ers three quarterbacks last season with, you know, 285 yards a game um a a 90.8 quarterback rating which was better than Garoppolo's and you know Garoppolo obviously just played three starts, but I mean Mullins played pretty well so I think that reflects well on Scangarello I think the question I have which I think everyone in probably you know Denver shares the same question is can he call plays we don't really know if he can game plan or if he can call plays we know he can he can coach up a system (laughs) Um but we don't know if he can develop that system and execute that system on his own because we all know that, you know, Kyle Shanahan's regarded as, as one of the best system designers and play callers in the league.
2: Right. Piggybacking off your last question, a lot of
0: Broncos fans
2: feel like they're getting they're getting Kyle Shanahan and not the guy he's been grooming and tutoring. Um, who in your estimation would you feel like deserves more credit for the production of the quarterbacks with the 49ers, with Garoppolo and Bethard and Mullins? Would you think that's Skangarello, or would you put that more on Kyle Shanahan?
0: I mean, I, I think it's it's got to be Shanahan. I mean, hes he's ultimately the main architect of the offense and sure. and the guy who's calling the plays, like i mentioned and and just the system that he's been working on for so long and and he's developed it, uh, you know, he, to the point where he feels really good about the quarterbacks in the room. And and Skangarello is an extension of Shanahan, to be sure. Um but like I said, I don't know how how responsible Skangarella was for for designing any of those concepts. Uh, or game planning at all I, I think his responsibilities with the 49ers were just basically uh, reiterating you know what shanahan created so it, i'm I'm still unsure how good of a, of an offensive coach he is in terms of creating that's that type of stuff um, but I would imagine there's going to be a lot of it the the systems are gonna be very similar and and I would imagine John Elway would want somebody who's gonna run you know a Mike shanahan. Gary Kubiak-type offense, right. and, uh, and, and I'd imagine Scangarello is going to do that.
3: Yeah. You know, it was interesting that early on, you know, when the Broncos first made their overture on Skangarello, Shanahan said no and blocked it. Then a day or two passed, and we kind of speculated that some backdoor conversations were taking place between the two Stanford homies and John Elway and John Lynch, and the next thing you know, they okay it and they have an interview and he gets hired. And then Kyle Shanahan spoke to it a little bit publicly, but it was kind of blah. We didn't get a whole lot of insight other than, well, yeah, I didn't want to lose a good coach. But can you offer any insight as to maybe what you, you think could have happened there with the Niners saying no at first, only to which is pretty rare in the NFL to say no and block only to change your mind and allow the interview to take place?
0: Yeah, well, the Niners have had a few different coaches try to— other teams have tried to get interviews with, with a few assistants. Um, you know, Mike LaFleur, who's their passing game coordinator, uh, and receivers coach, who's probably the most likely one to, to replace Scamborello. So they. So he was requested by his brother, Matt LaFleur, the new coach of the Packers, to, to interview for that offensive coordinator job opening there. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan denied that request, be, and, and he said it this week at the Senior Bowl, that he didn't want— uh, to lose any of his guys, obviously, but he's he's only going to allow them to interview for jobs where he thinks it's a clear promotion. Um, and he doesn't see going to Green Bay where Mike LaFleur wasn't going to call plays. That's going to be his brother Matt's job. Uh, he didn't see that as a promotion. And the 49ers gave uh, Mike LaFleur and, and Mike McDaniel, their running game coordinator, uh, a promotion last offseason. So they used to just be sort of like assistant I forget exactly what their title was, but they, they mm-hmm. added coordinators to their title, which came with a raise. Um, so Shanahan decided to prevent those guys from interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs elsewhere, because it wasn't a clear promotion from from what they're doing now, because they wouldn't be calling plays. Right. So initially, he blocked he blocked the, the, the job, or the interview for Scangarello, uh, and then, like you said, I think they did some back-channeling, and obviously... Uh, John Lynch and, and John Elway have a good relationship, and they made it clear that Scangarello was a really legitimate candidate for them. And then, you know, Shanahan said he didn't want to to grant an interview if he wasn't going to be a legitimate candidate. And obviously, you know, being an offensive coordinator under a defensive-minded head coach, he's going to have that right. that autonomy to call plays and, and run the offense. So for Scangarello, it was a very clear promotion, and, and Shanahan wanted to be sure he was a legitimate candidate, and, and obviously he was, so... Um, so that's his view on that. And there's a whole bunch of contractual stuff about, you know, if guys are under contract for a certain amount of time, you don't necessarily have to allow them to, to go interview elsewhere unless it's for a head coaching job. But, um, but yeah, I think it was made clear by the Broncos how real Scangarello's shot was to, to call the plays and, and really make that offense his own. I think Shanahan felt responsible to, to allow him to interview for that job. Yeah. I mean,
3: I don't,
2: I don't blame him. Zach. Uh, speaking of negotiations, you know, the Broncos got Scangarello. Uh, they need a young quarterback, and the Niners are rich with new quarterbacks. What is a realistic scenario? What are the chances in your mind of the Niners trading Mullins, and what do you think he could go for?
0: <sighs> um, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, at the Well, for, for now, Jimmy Garoppolo is recovering from his ACL tear that happened in September, and they're expecting him back to be him to be cleared back sometime around May or June. Uh, so they're gonna need two quarterbacks to to just basically run the offense throughout the offseason program until then. So if the Niners were to deal one of their quarterbacks, I bet it would happen at some point in August. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: so that you know I, I don't know where the Broncos stand as far as, you know, would they be willing to wait that long for somebody or do they want to get somebody in right away. Uh, that they could develop in their offense throughout the offseason program, and and you know there wouldn't be that much uh, of an adjustment, you know, say if if it were Nick Mullins or if it were C.J. Bethard. I, I'm more inclined to think the Niners would be more willing to to trade C.J. Bethard because mm-hmm. he's you know he's a rook, he's he's still on his rookie contract. He was a third round draft pick, so he's under control for two more seasons. Um, the Niners might be inclined to keep Mullins. Because they have his rights just for this next year. Mm-hmm. And so just because like when it comes to contract control, I think Bethard has more trade value and and mullins is is probably marginally better. i'm I'm of the belief that Bethard probably would have played pretty well had he stayed healthy uh, over that same stretch that mullins did. and And Mullins really took advantage of playing against some bad teams and and he had a real a real easy transition into into the starting lineup by playing the Raiders. Uh, in that Thursday night game. The Niners won 34-3, and and he really had a record-setting performance. But um, but I think Beathard would have played similarly well. But uh, in terms of compensation, I don't know. It's tough to say. I think the 49ers would love to, you know... I mean, it's going to be a competition to to be the backup behind Garoppolo between uh, between Beathard and Mullins. And so I don't know if, if they're necessarily operating as if they're going to trade one of those guys. But if they did trade Mullins... Um, I mean Denver certainly would make sense. I would guess something like a fourth or fifth round pick. I know a lot of people think that that uh, you know Mullins could fetch a lot more than that based on the way he played, but it's really a small sample size, I'd imagine, with a full off season. Uh, a little bit like Garoppolo this year. He came back to earth a little bit over those first three games. Right. But um yeah, I I think a mid or late round pick if the forty ers were in were intent on on trading one of those guys away. But for now I think they're not even operating with that mindset just because they know they need two quarterbacks throughout the offseason program. And and just because Garoppolo is coming off a knee injury, a significant one, and the fact that they, um, you know, they, they only have seven starts in Garoppolo's five seasons in the league, uh, you know, they, they might want that third quarterback around just as insurance because, you know, they've started three quarterbacks in, in each of the last uh, two seasons. They've had to use three different starting quarterbacks. So I, I think... They're going to roll into the season with three, but if they did trade Mullins or Beathard, it would probably be for a mid or late round pick. I would guess. Interesting.
3: Yeah. And it usually doesn't work, by the way. I mean, when you see former guys with their their previous team connections, like I always think of Matt Castle, you know, when Pioli went to Kansas City and tried to duplicate the magic that he had in 08, I think it was that year, as the starter when Brady went down. You just don't hardly ever see teams capture lightning in a bottle twice with an under-the-radar kind of unheralded guy striking oil, so to speak, in his original destination and then following a coach or a GM somewhere else and then duplicating that. So I, for one, would be you know, no offense to Nick Mullins who I think, I mean, you look at his numbers on the surface 13 touchdowns and 8 starts. I mean, he was on pace if he was a 16-game starter to throw 26 touchdowns which would have completely blown what Case Keenum, a 6-year veteran did in his first year as a starter in Denver, completely out of the water. So, not that there's not a lot to like about Mullins, but to me, I would be a little bit uh, little bit leery about making making a move, and even a fourth or fifth round pick I mean for a team like the Broncos right now that are are in such a, a dire rebuilding mode, like, I would be a little bit worried about that now. One other thing here too that I wanted to talk about with you, Chris, is you know it 's kind of a uh, sore subject for Broncos fans, the idea that john elway can 't despite being a Hall of Fame quarterback despite being a two time Super Bowl champion quarterback. Uh, despite starting five Super Bowls, can't draft a quarterback to save his freaking life. We got Brock Osweiler falling by the wayside, uh, the most le- you know, recent, obviously, and the one that probably hurts the hardest being Paxton Lynch as a first-round bust. One of the thoughts that Zach and I have kind of chewed on here on the podcast is the idea that one of the reasons the Broncos focused in on Scangarello after the Vic Fangio hire was to have a fresh set of eyes so to speak on the on the pre-draft evaluation process in terms of not only identifying quarterbacks in the draft that that can make some hay with the Broncos but also teaming them with the the right guy who can then develop them in the pros do you think that's putting that would be a little too putting too much on on Scangarello or do you think that's something he would have the full capability of being in a draft room with John Elway and helping to identify and of course we know what he can do as a developer what he did with with Mullins but what would your thoughts be on that
0: I I totally agree with you I I have to think that's a huge part of why Denver brought him in and and I think you know like I said he was the one who found Nick Mullins and and really sold him on coming to the team and then really developed him and Jimmy Garoppolo after you know they that after they had to you know quickly ingratiate him into the system in the offense so i agree with you um i don't know his his whole history in terms of identifying and finding quarterback talent to be honest but but i can say that that everyone that i spoke with in, in the building about just his what what happened with with mullins and you know obviously we all wrote about nick a lot uh late in the season but scangarilla was really the one who was largely responsible for finding mullins and and really developing him and and putting him on the fast track to to go into the starting lineup where you know we all thought that mullins was going to be a complete fish out of water in a regular season setting you know as a former undrafted player out of southern miss a, a, a tiny little school in the south and came in wound up winning his first start against the raiders and Uh, I think he threw four touchdowns and no interceptions and really sort of, uh, I mean, it was a record setting performance in terms of uh, somebody, I forget exactly what the records were, but I mean, it, it just speaks to, you know, I think Scangarello is good at identifying quarterbacks and identifying the traits, um, that, you know, that Kyle Shanahan was certainly looking for, for that offense. And I know when the 49ers were, were looking for their franchise quarterback, Kyle Shanahan had cutups of, of all these different players. Uh, whether it be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or things like he 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 made cutups specific plays or, tra- of you know traits that he was looking for in a franchise quarterback and and Jimmy Garoppolo, w- 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 was featured in those cutups too, but you know Scangarello was was really the one who who Shanahan relied on heavily to, to to make that decision with Garoppolo as well. And and so, and CJ Beathard, uh, who didn't play as well as Garoppolo or, or Nick Mullins and, and you know, Beathard probably got a bad shake because the 49ers were just playing really poorly as a team mm-hmm. uh, and they improved significantly with, with Beathard or with, with Mullins and Garoppolo just because I think it was late in the season and, and the team sort of hit its rhythm in both those years. But uh, but, yeah, I think I, I totally agree with with the idea that that the Broncos brought Scangarello in in part to identify quarterbacks. And I think that's probably his best trait that we know of right now, uh, just because, like I've said before, we we don't know how he is at, at game planning and de- designing an offense and, and play calling and things like that. But we do know that he can identify quarterbacks and, and coach them up and, and maybe get the most out of them. So that's obviously going to be a really important thing for the Broncos. Chris,
2: uh, after suffering through Gary Kubiak, Mike McCoy, and Bill Musgrave, there's so much excitement in Broncos country about this Gengarell hiring. Now, I know that you know no coach is infallible. Every coach has its downsides and its negatives. But what would you say, except for his inexperience and his you know being a relative unknown, about the 49ers' passing offense or their scheme or their quarterback tendencies? What are some of the negatives that you've seen in San Francisco since Shanahan and Scangarello got kind of got together?
0: Um I, I I don't know who this necessarily falls on but I I think one, I, one one criticism I would have of the offense is the fact I think they were too aggressive at times and it sort of goes back to you know the famous 28 to 3 Super Bowl that the Falcons ended up losing to the Ooh. to the Patriots <laughs> when like when trying Shanahan to compensate <laughs> Shanahan always had confidence in his quarterback to make plays even when uh you know when they're ahead and they're killing they, they need to kill clock and you know another team's bringing a a run blitz or anything or something like that Shanahan will will make it so he's relying on the quarterback's arm in in key situations and I think sometimes that false sense of confidence hurt Shanahan and, and hurt the teams he was coaching uh and I think we saw a little bit of that with the 49ers but at the same token like how can you really blame a coach for for trying to instill confidence in in his players uh so I don't know how much Scangarello would would um you know how how much that that relates to him but I, I think that that's probably my main criticism of, of the Shanahan offense since the 49ers have since he's come to the 49ers is that sometimes he's a little bit too confident in the passing game uh sometimes he throws when when it would be better to run sometimes he goes for it on fourth down this this happened particularly early in his tenure he would go for it on for, fourth down when when it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to do that he was just kind of being overly aggressive and and you'll see that with you know, offensive coaches compared to defensive coaches. And that's one of the things I'm curious to see with the Broncos is how, you know, Vic Fangio runs a game and, and how often he sort of plays to his
3: right.
0: defense and, and is willing to find all those things. You remember Fangio was a longtime coordinator of the 49ers, yeah. uh, some really good teams um, that played super conservatively. So maybe Vic Fangio will will impact the the totality of sort of the, the game theory that the Broncos have um but yeah i think you know the niners didn't handle blitzes on third down very well Uh, a lot of teams would would send really heavy blitzes on obvious passing downs and and the 49ers would it would try to counter that by you know having all five eligibles uh, go out and and run a lot of times it led to some really bad sacks when you know maybe they could have used one or two of those guys in on protections
3: right um
0: and maybe that's an issue that the 49ers just didn't have you know the talent at skill positions so they would uh so they would just try to throw numbers at at the problem, um, but otherwise, no. I think the 49ers, considering their talent, had a pretty good offense uh, with with Kyle Shanahan. They finished, you know, 16th in offense with last year with three different quarterbacks. Uh, they turned the ball over a lot, which sort of speaks to the lack of talent that they had. But no, overall, it's it's hard to really look at the job Shanahan's done and with the offense as a whole and have too many criticisms aside from maybe he's a little bit, you know, overconfident in in some of his players when really he shouldn't be. But I think if he got, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo for a full season and and he plays like he thinks he can play or the 49ers think he can play, I think some of the, some of those, you know, that boldness might pay off. This has
3: been an extremely illuminating conversation. I got one more for you, Chris, and then we're going to cut you loose. Uh, And it's kind of one, you know, we've talked about how, How much we don't really know what to expect from scangarello as a as a uh, tactician so let's just change the subject temporarily we talked a little bit about some of the back channels that took place between elway and lynch in order to actually close the the deal or open the doors is probably a better term to to scangarello it kind of speaks to who's the boss there because we know that kyle shanahan was hired first and then john lynch but from your years covering the team what is what, what's your take your perspective on how the power dynamic is in san francisco is it kyle shanahan john, i mean i know they're supposed to be a team but in most situations you know it rolls downhill so to speak the you know what john elway to vic fangio and so on and so forth what's a what is the, the relationship between be, between shanahan and lynch from a power dynamic perspective
0: I think Shanahan is the most important person in the organization. And I think when they hired him, one of the selling points was you get to pick your general manager. So I view, you know, in, in terms of expendability, and, and the 49ers aren't aren't having any of these thoughts or going down this road yet, but if they were uh, going to fire somebody at some point, um, I would have to imagine John Lynch would be the first one on the chopping block just because, you know, Shanahan was really sort of the prized candidate of that of that coaching cycle in 2017 and I and I think if he were to become available he might become you know he might be the most sought after guy just because of you know we've talked about his offensive chops and and his experience in the league and the productivity of his offenses Uh, and you look at the most recent coaching cycle everyone wants the the new Sean McVay uh, but you know Sean McVay really cut his teeth under Kyle Shanahan so um, I think Shanahan it would it would definitely be the more sought after commodity and and uh, so I view him certainly above John Lynch on the pecking order of the organization and and Lynch has done. Uh, you know, Lynch even says this. He says, you know, my job as general manager is really general. It's just sort of to oversee everything. I think what Lynch does within the 49ers is is allow other people to do their job. So so Shanahan and Lynch have put together a personnel department uh, that can collaborate and, and everyone's really collaborative and they all you know, everyone everything seems really hunky-dory within you know the 49ers building and part of that is because Shanahan's really comfortable with Lynch and Lynch is obviously comfortable with Shanahan who I think he sees as as his boss essentially um, but, but Lynch's responsibility is you know to be the, the voice of, of the front office. He does a ton of radio hits, a lot of television spots. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of, of John Lynch access out there. And that's one thing that's a polar opposite to the, to the previous regime under Trent Baalke. Um, and Kyle Shanahan, obviously, is really forthright and, and really good to deal with from a media's perspective and, and really expansive. And, and we all really appreciate the way He is with that, but John Lynch is like that, too, and that's something that's brand new that the 49ers ownership, I think, wanted, and that's one thing that that ownership and Kyle Shanahan agreed on was that, you know, John Lynch can take a little bit of the pressure off Kyle Shanahan by doing uh, a bunch of these different, uh, you know, media appearances and television shows and radio hits and podcast appearances and all that. Um, so. Yeah, I w- to, to sorry to, to be long-winded about no. that, but I view Kyle Shanahan as, as above John Lynch on, on the, the organizational hierarchy right. um, just because, you know, when the 49ers settled on, on hiring a coach, and it was Shanahan, and part of the appeal was that he would get a blank slate and essentially get to pick his general manager, and so that's what happened. For what it's worth,
3: Broncos country is, I mean, for the most part, still bitter that Elway passed on Shanahan to hire vance joseph but it worked out even though you know neither team has had a winning season since those fateful decisions were made at least the niners have some semblance of a franchise quarterback on the roster maybe even two who the hell knows in in garoppolo and mullins so but yeah kyle shanahan's a guy who is still viewed extremely favorably in uh denver you know even though he never worked for the team he was constantly seen on the sideline with his dad back in the late 90s so anyway but that is chris biederman you guys Thank you so much for uh, joining the show, Chris. Giving us some uh, insight into Skangarello maybe helping to pump some of the brakes on the some of the expectations of what the X's and O's are going to be coming from Skangarello Because so there's just so much that is remains unknown from him as a, as a play caller.
0: Yeah, that's true. And as somebody who, who covered Vic Fangio for three years, I, I think um, I think he was a really good hire, particularly with. Uh, with the de- the defensive personnel that the Broncos already have in place, I think I would expect really good things from Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, with with Vic Fangio running that defense. I think um, he he specializes in outside linebackers, and and that's reflected in the way his defenses have played. You know, starting with San Francisco, uh, obviously with Khalil Mack and the Bears this- these last four four years, and um, and now now I would expect that to continue. So I think Broncos fans should should be. Pretty excited, at least from a defensive perspective. Uh, but like you mentioned, we'll have to see if, if Scangarello can, uh, can design an offense and, and run an offense on his own.
2: No, I was going to say, there it is. That's a, that's the million-dollar question with Scangarello. He has all the upside in the world. It's just can he put it all together, and can he be what the Broncos envisioned he could be?
3: No problem. Well, Chris, thanks again for joining us. You guys find him on Twitter. It's at Chris Biederman. He also has a podcast you can find Uh, On iTunes covering the Niners If you want the inside slant What's going to happen with Nick Mullins What's going to happen with the uh, health and recovery Of Jimmy Garoppolo You're going to want to check that out But once again Chris thanks for joining the show We really appreciate it It
0: was a great conversation No problem guys thanks a lot for having me
1: Thanks Chris This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, so great
3: conversation as we mentioned again
1: Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was
2: only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come
1: true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner ram power days is going on now with our most powerful lineup of trucks ever hurry in and don't just feel the power own it and right now get zero percent apr financing plus three thousand dollars total bonus cash allowance on 2022 ram 1500 bighorn crew cab models equipped with a gas powered v6 engine don't miss this great offer visit ram.com to find your local ram dealer today Financing for all qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by ten thirty one twenty two. Dog,
3: you know the dog uh, (laughs) wanted to be on the show. We get it. It is the Huddle Up podcast. Who wouldn't want to be on the show as well? We understand that everyone's chomping at the bit trying to get to the mic so they can talk to Chad and Zach. But let's get to the actual content of what Chris had to say there. And I think, as we kind of mentioned toward the end of our conversation there, one of the things that he really touched on is no one really knows exactly what to expect from Rich Scangarello as a tactician, as a play caller, as a game planner.
2: Right, and that's what Broncos fans and a lot of people are overlooking. There's a lot of excitement around Scangarello, and rightfully so, after what the Broncos have dealt with, but we don't know what we're getting in him yet. The Broncos don't know. They think they're getting a young, up-and-coming, innovative coordinator, but there's no proof that he's developed the Niners, and he's done the most work, and Shanahan hasn't. And in fact, what Chris said is that the most success can be attributed to Shanahan and not Scangarello. So uh, what Broncos fans have to realize, at least in the short term, at least until Scangarello proves himself is that they're not hiring Kyle Shanahan. They're hiring his disciple. They're hiring the guy he groomed, his assistant. And that's going to be felt on Sundays. We don't know what he has yet, what kind of scheme he's going to run. Uh, Zone blocking, a predominantly run blocking team. We think we have these answers, but we will not know until they get on the field. So um, the unknown is scary for Denver, at least in the past. They knew what they were getting in Mike McCoy. They knew what they were getting in Bill Musgrave. They don't know in a first-timer like Sangarello. So the fact that Chris brought that up, it really opened my eyes to that.
3: Yeah, so let's just pump the brakes, mitigate the expectations a little bit, and maybe not expect him to come in and work miracles. I mean, really what I gathered from what Chris was saying is that, yes, he played a huge role in identifying quarterback talent in the draft. And not only that, but identifying that Jimmy Garoppolo should be the guy they go after as a franchise quarterback in that trade with New England. Rich Scangarell played a huge role in identifying – Quarterback talent, but then also developing them from a teaching perspective, right? From a from a student-teacher relationship perspective, and the guy that's in the trenches, t- helping them to take the play calling, take the overall scope of the scheme that Shanahan ha- had designed, and then how to apply that, how to uh, not only have your technique on point, but how to uh, interpret the offense when you're at the line of scrimmage. What are you looking for? Things like that. That was Scangarello's brief, and so actually being in the room and game planning, actually studying the film to break down the opponent uh, tendencies, actually calling plays. These are all things that are relative, well, in the NFL for Scangarello anyway, completely new, and even the guys who've covered him there for the last two years have no freaking clue what to expect. So we kind of have to extrapolate uh, on, on top of that what we expect to see. And again, I think it's safe to say, There's a reason why John Elway wanted Scangarello, and that is because he's got the comfortable familiarity of the West Coast philosophy and the Shanahan tree on point. I mean, that's locked down, and Elway likes that. But he also is a guy who can identify quarterback talent, develop quarterback talent, and he's also got experience as a disciple of Kyle Shanahan with the RPO and some of the more creative schemes that are predominating in the NFL.
2: I mean, one thing that stands out to me is not just the X's and O's, but the spotlight of his new position. He went from being relatively hidden behind Kyle Shanahan and getting credit, but very little criticism for Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo, but now... He's coming to Denver, he's taking over a broken offense with no long-term franchise quarterback, he's working under John Elway in that pressure cooker in Denver, and he'll either have to work with Case Keenum, who's a below-average starter, or a rookie quarterback in a historically bad class. So it's not a great position for Scangarello to be in right away. It's going from, you know, being out of the spotlight to being under the glare of that spotlight, and it's all going to fall on his shoulders, and that is the unknown. It's a guy who's relatively young in his 40s. In the NFL, that's a baby, you know? Mm -hmm. So... We don't know what we have, and the Broncos don't even know. They are hoping, they are hitching their star to his wagon, um, but they are not getting Kyle Shanahan. I think that's one thing Broncos fans are jumping to conclusions about. Just because he worked under him does not mean he is him. That's the same thing that NFL teams are doing with Sean McVay, and that's why uh, Chris was right to pump the brakes just a little bit.
3: Yeah, but see, the more I talk to people in the know on Scangarello and just his background and connecting the dots – I mean, the Broncos need to get him a quarterback if they want to maximize yes. his opportunity to succeed as a first-time coordinator in the NFL. Case Keenum, I mean, that's that's a death sentence. For a team, that's a death sentence for a first-time coordinator. Elway knows it. There's a reason. And Elway's usually quite smart, unless he's drunk coming out of a club and TMZ catches him. <laughs> you know, he's actually quite... Uh, careful with his, his verbiage when he's speaking publicly. There's a reason he talked about Case Keenan being a quote-unquote short-term fix with uh, Peter King. And so again, all the signs to me love it, like it, hate it, whatever how, whatever your perspective is you know, some fans are really kind of brainwashed on the idea that there are no viable franchise caliber quarterbacks in this class wanting the Broncos to just wait and mail in tw- 2019 and go all in for a quarterback next year. The coaches and GMs in this, in, on this team, I mean, the, or, or in this league, they don't have time to uh, to, to say, hey, look, let's just kind of mail in 2019. We'll just kind of keep building the team, and we'll add picks here and there, fill some roster holes, and we'll make a good run at a quarterback next year. I mean, if the Broncos go on to have another tank of a season next year, Elway's head might roll. I mean, he's locked down under contract through 2021, Zach, but another losing season, making it three in a row, I mean – the hue and cry in the fan base, it might be too much to overcome. Joe Ellis, even if there's no change in the ownership situation as it is, and he remains the you know the mouthpiece of the and trust, he might have to fire John Elway if it's three losing seasons in a row. So what I'm getting at here is let's not kid ourselves and pretend that John Elway has all the time in the world to find a quarterback. He has to make hay now while the sun is shining. And I think the addition, Zach, of Scangarello – really helps to point us in that direction and bolster the idea that that's exactly what is priority number one at Broncos HQ right this minute.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. And I feel like if the Broncos would have kept Kubiak or hired a a graybeard coach, that would have signaled they were going for a veteran or tying their their hopes to Case Keenum. But the fact they went after Scangarello and combined with Elway's comments, who's mentioned innovation, evolving, uh, having a young quarterback they can develop, all those signs point to the Broncos getting a young quarterback. And he knows that it takes three years to judge one in the NFL. So if he takes one this year, he knows he can buy himself some time in that quarterback, especially a young, Quarterback like Drew Locke, who's a little raw and rougher on the edges, he knows if he takes him this year, he has at least through his contract, yep. and he will not be a lame duck in 2020. So he's smarter than that. He knows how to get around the system. I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't see Joe Ellis having the, the, uh, the stones to, to fire. Uh, John Elway, even if he had another bad season, but I think Elway will hedge his bets just a little bit and get that quarterback. Like you said, all the breadcrumbs, all the signs are pointing to Elway finally pulling the trigger and getting hopefully what should be a franchise quarterback,
3: man. The sound quality snafus on this podcast are just, it's just one of those days. You guys, my apologies on that, uh, with the phone and it happened while Zach's talking. So there's no editing that out. My apologies. Um, but I can't disagree. I mean, what, what you're saying is the truth, and I think that's a great point. I mean, Elway's a smart guy. He's feeling the pressure. We've talked about it, The what his demeanor on Black Monday. I mean, he was oh, shook. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, he's feeling it, and he knows that uh, that last three years on his deal, uh, let's just say the final two years on his deal are not guaranteed. He knows he's locked in for 2019, and he knows he's under contract uh, beyond that, but they're not guaranteed. So he's got to make hay while the sun is shining. So, anyway – great conversation with Chris. We'll have to try and get him back on the show, maybe at a later point, maybe even a little bit closer to the draft. So anyway, but uh, we're going to jump in before we run out of time on a few questions from the VIP mailbag for this episode.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
3: All right. So taking a peek inside the Mile High mailbag, because Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every episode we are here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. We received some questions in the VIP mailbag on the website, some really good ones here. And Jacob Smith's question in the VIP forum uh, was: we basically got to it. We didn't talk specifically about emphasizing footwork and technique. Jacob's question was: How does Scangarello coach the QBs? Does he teach them hard? Does he emphasize footwork technique? What was his relationship like with the Niners' QBs overall? Uh, other than the emphasizing of footwork and technique, I think we covered those bases with Chris. Here's one, Zach from No Fly Zone, twenty-one twenty-five. His question is: If we are able to get Drew Locke this year in the draft, could Rich Scangarello coach him up and get his footwork and lower body mechanics better? And could he be a big help in the development of how he reads defenses? What are the pros and cons of Scangarello? The second half of that, that question, Zach, we've already addressed. The first half, I mean, talking to Chris, I mean, I think if you're looking for a an available coordinator slash coach who can identify and then coach up a quarterback in the modern NFL, a young quarterback – Guy who's maybe needs a little polishing of the footwork and some lower body mechanics, there's no fly zone points to. And, you know, just a guy that might have some rougher edges. I think the Broncos found the right guy to come in and do that. And and Drew Locke, I think, would be a great fit with Rich Gangarilla.
2: I was going to say the the sole reason they hired Scangarello was to develop a young quarterback like Drew Locke. And you could even go so far as to say that they hired Scangarello because they want to draft Drew Locke or someone like him. So, yeah, if there's any guy they brought in, that's why, because he developed young talent. It's not just one player. It's not just Garoppolo. It's C.J. Beathard. That when Beathard got injured, Nick Mullins, a 2017 undrafted free agent, came in and lit it up. He torched the Broncos. That was coaching. That game showed Broncos fans the difference between the 49ers coaching and the Broncos coaching. And it showed what coaching can do in the NFL, how you can scheme around weaknesses and, and emphasize strengths. That's what, the, and that's what the 49ers did with Scangarello and Shanahan. So if they bring in a young QB, they have full confidence that Scangarello can develop him. It's the sole reason why they hired him in the yeah. first place.
3: And I also think, again, I'm telling you, I think Scangarello is going to have a, a very large voice in the identification of the next quarterback of the Denver Broncos in this coming draft, I really do think he's yeah. he's going to be. You know, the Broncos will bring him some some cut ups and some plays and some game film to watch, and he'll say, "Here's here's a, b, c options." You know, help them establish their big board, and then once the the pick is in, type thing. You know, it's going to be comp- go straight under Scangarello's wing, and kind of go from there. Now, here's one from Smiling Assassin. A long-time VIP subscriber at Mile High Huddle. His question is, he wanted to know from Chris what Chris thought of the philosophies uh, of Scangarello and Mike Munchak, how they'll match up when it comes to O-line blocking schemes. And we didn't have a lot of time, and uh, with some of the technical issues surrounding the dog in our conversation. We kind of got thrown off a little bit, so we weren't able to directly throw this one at Chris. So let's do our best to offer a, an educated answer here for Smile and Assassin. One thing we do know, again, and half of this question points back to what uh, Biederman said in that we don't know exactly from a tactical X's and O's scheme perspective what to expect from Scangarello because he's not never been a coordinator in the NFL. But based on what was ran in San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan is very much a zone blocking scheme guy. And Munchak, I think, is a guy, as a position coach, he can do both. But from what I understand, he's more of a predominantly uh, power one-on-one type uh, gap blocking system as opposed to zone.
2: Yeah. Shanahan obviously hails from that. Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, West Coast scheme, a lot of zone blocking, a lot of heavy run oriented plays. And that's how I feel like right now. It's all we can really say. It's all we can go on is tendencies and histories of the Broncos coaching staff and their personnel with Scangarello and Munchak and the Broncos running backs. The only thing I feel confident in saying right now on January 23rd is they're going to be a heavy running team. They're finally going to um, know where their bread is buttered, and they're going to emphasize their strength, which is the running game. So I feel like in coaching, uh, that's where they succeed this year with Scangarello. But it's too soon to say what, what they're going to be like otherwise. Their schemes, like uh, the X's and O's, that will come in time. It's too soon to say. But I feel like uh, between their histories, uh, it's going to be a heavy zone influence and a lot, a lot, a lot of running.
3: One more question in the mailbag for this episode came from Nunzi wanting to know, whether or not Skangarella will call plays from the sideline or from the booth. We did not answer that or ask that question to Chris, mainly because of just the way the conversation flowed. I don't think he knows. And I think right now all you can do is be educated in how you would answer that question. And I would say if you look at how the Broncos have yet to hire a quarterbacks coach, I think especially his relationship and working so closely with quarterbacks – I would be shocked if he did anything other than call plays from the sideline a la Kyle Shanahan because it wouldn't surprise me, Zach, if the Broncos do not hire a quarterback's coach and you see maybe an additional quality control kid brought in to kind of help do some stuff, some of the minutiae things that quarterback coaches do in terms of uh, looking at cutups in-game and stuff like that on the bench. But I think Scangarello might hold Maybe they, he holds both duties as OC and quarterback's coach. Uh, but Noonzie's question about sideline or the booth, where's he calling the plays? I think it's going to be sideline. Yeah,
2: you got it. If he doubles as a QB coach, obviously he has to be on the sideline. And I feel like he'll be there anyway just to have a hands-on feel of the game and be around the players and coach them up on the sideline. I'm not a big fan of coordinators being up in the booth. I like them more on the sideline just so they can be on the field and get that energy and get in their faces and rile them up. So um, I think that's where he'll be when it's all said and done, uh, on the sidelines on the field.
3: Yep. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Once again, thanks to Chris Biederman. For joining the show. It was a great conversation. It was great getting to meet his dog as well. Both Zach and I <laughs> consider ourselves lucky for that. Friend um, of the show. Absolutely. Find him on Twitter at Chris Biederman once again. But you also got to find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter at Kelberman 24 7. You can find me at Chad N. Jensen. Follow the show at Huddle Up Pod. Take some time leave a review, rate the show, extremely important. But we're going to be right back at you tomorrow as we are transitioning to a daily model here at the Huddle Up Podcast. You can look forward to another episode on Friday. So for Zach Kelburn, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you here
1: soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.